So this morning I'm going to be continuing with this very short three-week, what I'm calling a sermon series on the Gospel of Mark. I was asked the other day, what's the title for this sermon series? And I said, well, I didn't really think of one. Maybe it's just some of Don's favorite scripture passages from the middle of the Gospel of Mark. But then I thought about it a little bit more, and I realized that each of these three scripture passages that I'm reading are from the middle of the Gospel of Mark, but they're also at a crossroads in Jesus' own ministry, a transition, if you will, between his early ministry, which was in Galilee, and then the journey he takes to Jerusalem. So this is where we are in the Gospel of Mark. And this morning, I want to open up the Gospel of Mark to the fifth chapter, and we're going to listen now for God's word to us today from the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Jesus crossed over once more in the boat to the other side. There, a large crowd gathered around him, and he was by the seashore. A woman who had had internal bleeding for 12 years heard about Jesus. She'd had a rough time at the hands of one doctor after another. She'd spent all she had on treatment and had got worse rather than better. She came up in the crowd behind him and she touched his clothes. If I can just touch his clothes, she said to herself, I'll be rescued. At once, her flow of blood dried up. She knew in her body that her illness was cured. Jesus knew at once inside himself that power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and he said, who touched my clothes? You see this crowd crushing you, said his disciples, and you say, who touched me? He looked around to see who had done it. The woman came up. She was afraid and trembling, but she knew what had happened to her. She fell down in front of him and told him the whole truth. My daughter, Jesus said to her, your faith has rescued you. Go in peace, be healed from your illness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, we pray that you will grant us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the hearts and minds to understand your word and your world as best we can this day. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't have to tell you, I guess, that these last few months have been rough for all of us. Whether or not you or somebody you really care about has been directly impacted by coronavirus, we've all suffered from the sense of isolation and the lack of connection that we've had to go through in order to keep each other safe. So I I hope and pray that one thing we learn or will learn from this time is that public health is about more than just physical condition. It's also about our emotional and our spiritual and our social well-being. And that brings us to the gospel lesson this morning, which as I told you is from the gospel of Mark, And we hear in the story about a woman who has suffered terribly 
from continuous bleeding for a very long time. And then on top of that, the same woman, because of her condition, has suffered ostracism from the rest of her community for that same long period of time. And that's a result of how things were in Jesus' day. In the Jewish community of his time, people remembered back to the uh, biblical book of Leviticus, where it says very clearly that if anyone, man, woman, even an animal, is bleeding, they are considered to be unclean, impure, in the eyes of God and in the eyes of the whole community. So, I'm not going to get into the details of why that is, but it is, and that's how it was accepted at that time. And so, this woman has to deal with both her physical condition and the fact that nobody else can come close to her. Nobody, everybody she knows, everybody she loves, everybody who was part of her life before is kept away from her. And so she's all alone. So the person, or in this case the woman, according to the rules, according to the law, had to be kept in isolation until the bleeding stopped. And then they had to go through this elaborate set of rituals that would make them clean again and would allow them to be accepted back into society. So think about what it was like for this woman. All those years of physical pain and being separate from everybody else. And then one day, she hears about this holy man named Jesus. He's come nearby, and out of sheer desperation, she risks going out into this large crowd that was surrounding him. And she reaches out for what she must have thought was probably her last chance for healing and for liberation. She knows she can't physically touch Jesus or she'd compromise him. She'd infect him with her own impurity, according to her social standards. So she only touches his clothes. And immediately, it says in the text, she knew in her body that her illness was cured. And I can't even imagine how she felt, but I could, can see her escaping back into the crowd and trying to remain anonymous because she's been alone for so long. But she can't utterly disappear because Jesus notices something too. He notices that it isn't just her, this woman who feels something in her body, he feels something in his body too, some spark, some spiritual power has left him. And so he asks his disciples, who touched me? And you know, the disciples being the disciples, they said, we don't have a clue, boss, <laughs> you know? They don't even care. But then this woman, in fear and trembling, we're told, she comes back, she kneels, falls down on her face before Jesus, she shares her whole story with him, and he says to her, my daughter, your faith has rescued you. Go in peace and be healed from your illness. So, what is this story about? Well, first of all, it's about a woman who is just plain sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, she, she decides one day to escape the pain and the disgrace of her confinement, 
and she breaks the law. She violates the rules just by approaching Jesus. And you know what? He responds to her by seeing her for who she really is, as a child of God. And Jesus breaks the law too. Or you could say he gets into good trouble by saving somebody everybody else in society would rather ignore. Second thing we learn from this passage is that, um, is the question actually of, in this story, what is it that actually stops the woman's bleeding? Well, clearly, it's an act of divine power, but at the same time, her courageous act of faith becomes a channel for God's grace to reach her, to heal her, to set her free. And that points to the intimate connection between God's initiative to save us from whatever afflicts us and our openness to receiving that salvation. It doesn't matter which comes first, theologically or any other way, but God's grace and our faith go, to hand, go together like hand in glove. They're related intimately. And finally, you know, if you, you remember last week's sermon, I talked about how Jesus and the disciples got into a boat and they sailed together through stormy seas to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And over there, they had some great adventures, but today, they have just sailed back to the other side, to home, to familiar shores. They've come back to where they had started out from. And so, again, if you remember, what I said last week is that the boat symbolizes who they were and who you and I are too. We are the body of Christ in this church, in this little boat that we're sailing in together. And our mission is to sail on stormy seas, whether those seas involve a disease like COVID or setting free people from injustice. You know, Paul Brand was a medical missionary to lepers in India. And he writes that of all the things he was able to do for the sick, all the medical science and all the powerful drugs he could use, after all that, the one thing the patients, the lepers, said meant the most to them was that when they first came into the hospital, the staff reached out their hands and touched them. They saw them for who they really were, as human beings. And that was it. The open eyes, the healing touch. Because the truth is that doctors and nurses can stop the spread of any disease with drugs. We call that a cure. But in touching the untouchables and in seeing the invisible, they also brought back a sense of dignity and humanity to these people who were scorned by the rest of society. They set people free. And that's what we call healing. 
You know, churches around the world today are celebrating what's called All Saints Day. It's a day to remember those men and women and mothers and fathers in faith who've preceded us. And it's a good time for us to ask, what does it take to make a saint? Well, in the Roman Catholic Church, there's a whole set of rules and procedures for determining whether an individual rises up to that level of being called a saint, and it gets kind of complicated. Among other things, you have to prove that two miracles occurred in somebody's life after a person died because that person interceded with God. Usually the miracles have to do with healing some sort of disease because it's said that healing miracles are the easiest ones to prove. I don't know about that, but I do know this, that healing happens whenever any single one of us in the body of Christ, whether we're Catholic or Protestant or Orthodox or whatever, whenever we can see another person as worthy of dignity and care, as beloved child of God, and when that person can experience that for themselves, that they are seen, that they're cared for, and that they're loved. There's a story of a little girl who is walking around in a church sanctuary with her pastor, and as they walk, they notice the beautiful stained glass windows that are all around them. And the pastor then explains to the little girl what the significance, the meaning is for all these stained glass windows. He says, This first window with all the red is dedicated to St. Matthew. See, it has a picture of St. Matthew on it. And the second window with all the blues is dedicated to St. Mark. And it has a picture of St. Mark, who wrote the second of our Gospels. The third window with all the greens, that's for St. Luke. And it has a picture of him on it. And then the fourth window with all the yellows, that's dedicated to St. John. And has his picture on it. All these windows are so beautiful, especially with the sunlight shining through them. And the little girl thinks about it for a minute, and she says, I know what a saint is. The pastor says, what? And she says, it's somebody that the light shines through. Somebody that the light shines through. That is a saint. In other words, anybody can be a saint, even you and me. Anytime, any place, you don't have to be perfect, you don't even have to be all that good, you don't have to be especially religious, you just have to be yourself to let the light shine through. So, in that light, and in memory of all the saints who have gone before us, I want to share with you one of my favorite metaphors for the spiritual life. I've used it before in a sermon, and and some of you, actually a few of you, have asked me, we'd love to hear that illustration again. So I'm gonna share it with you again today. It comes from a Baptist preacher named Carlisle Manny, and he wrote years ago, and said this in a sermon, your personhood, your personality, your persona is like a house a fairly elaborate and complex structure. It may be fancy and sophisticated or simple and functional. 
Each house has a number of rooms. A formal parlor for greeting guests, a family room, bedroom, kitchen. There's also a basement for the plumbing and the trash. No need to spend your whole life down there, he writes. Come on up into the sunshine. Plumbing and trash aren't all there is to us human beings. And if you come upstairs and step out onto the lawn and you look up, you'll see that the house that is you, it has a spacious, gracious balcony. And there are people up there on your balcony. Since Carlisle Marnie was a southerner, his balcony was white wrought iron and had these wicker rocking chairs on it. And he says, and there are people in the rocking chairs on your balcony. They're sipping iced tea or bourbon, depending on whether they're Baptist or Presbyterian. You see, the people on your balcony are the strong, positive influences in your life. Your heroes, heroines, your models and mentors. Your parents are probably up there, and your grandparents too. There's some folks up there you never met, but they influence and help shape who you are. And there are some really big names up there, too. People whose lives inspired you from afar and called deeper faith out of you and courage and stamina and love and discipline. The people on your balcony are your saints. Well, as I said, I love that metaphor that image of who you are and of who your saints are, too. So as often as you can, walk out onto the lawn and look back up at the house that is you and call the roll. Name the people that you see, the people who have impacted your life, who have given something to you, who have modeled what it means to be uh, a channel of grace in some way, those are your saints. So give thanks to them. And now it is your turn. It's your turn as well. Because like the woman who reached out to Jesus after 12 long years of illness and isolation, your saints took a chance. So in their memory, I want you to think about how you can let God's light shine through you, however it can happen. And don't just think about it. Just do it. Because right now, with all the storm clouds all around us and, you know, an election right in front of us, now more than ever before, followers of Jesus have got to take the chance and we've got to act like saints for as somebody once said, a saint is just a sinner who keeps on trying. So let's keep on trying. In Jesus' name, amen.